Welcome to Nikki P's Conundrum. Today, we're going to be talking about sell me this pen. Now, this phrase, it was reinvigorated uh, in a movie called Wolf of Wall Street. And the issue is, is that in that movie, while it was a great movie, they didn't exactly explain to anybody how to sell the pen. It's important in sales to understand where we've been, to see where we're going, and I think that if people understood that and understood the evolution that has happened here since the early 90s all the way until today, it may help future sales training, and we can also look at the markets and how they change and how they differ throughout the generations, and we can uh, move forward with a better sales product. Talking about sell me this pen, when did this happen? Right. When did we have to change? When did the paradigm shift? And has there been a paradigm shift since then? Well, we're going to look at that and more. Sell Me This Pen came out because in the 90s, and not to date myself, but I entered the mortgage business in 1996. I dare say 95, but I say 1996. And at the time, sales was all about that fast-talking salesman. Right, The guy who had all the answers. You came to us and we'd rattle it all off and people felt like, man, this is great. You know, we would jam the product down their throats. I don't care if we're selling a mortgage, a second mortgage, we're selling them a car, a house, whatever it was that with salesmen on the streets were doing, we were jamming it down their throats and we were making them buy, right? We were force feeding them information, information we weren't even sure was correct. Right. Half the time, and, and, I, and I hate to say it, but it's true, right? And anybody who sold in that era will tell you what I'm telling you is true. We would turn dog, dog shit into diamonds, you know, and that was the plan. That's what we had to do. That was what success was. It wasn't the good, it wasn't about the good Samaritan. I wasn't trying to better your life. I was trying to better my life. I was looking for the next commission check. What happened though is something happened with the market. You see, there was a turn. All in a sudden, those same people who liked to have that or would accept the fact that you would jam the information down their throat, well, they no longer bought. You see, we saw a decline because they considered us liars. Now, we had to do something about that. And so, all came, sell me this pen. Now, the reason we came up with sell me this pen, the reason why it got adopted in the industry really started being taught toward, I believe, the late 90s. I remember the first time I ever gave that speech uh, was actually in 1998. So it was probably a couple of years before that. You know, sometimes, you know, sales training, what have you, adapt some places uh, a lot slower than others. You know, the West Coast, a lot of times will uh, have newer, uh, more sophisticated sales tools before the East Coast really gets it. But anyway, up there on the stage, and you'd say, sell me this pen. And... What the expectation was is that everyone would fail even though they thought they were being successful because the salesman at the time, if I said sell me this pen, would begin with, oh, well, here's the features of it. Here's the capabilities of it. Here's the practicality of it. And that's how we used to sell. And and that was supposedly the way. But the world had changed. A paradigm shift had taken place. What we wanted you to do, and the truth part is, the first step in selling the pen is don't talk about the pen. Put the pen down. Have a real, honest conversation with me. Now, this actually created a big rift in the business because anybody who's been in sales as long as I have, anybody who's been in sales, probably long, there's probably people a lot longer than me, right? But people who have been in sales for a while will tell you that when the paradigm shift has to happen, when the sell me this pen had to happen, Your old dinosaurs wanted to hang on to the old way. They didn't want to adapt. They were like, no, I'm still going to jam this product down their throat. And they would, you know, run amok and they just try and try and try to fight the system and believe that their way worked because you know what, 10 years ago it worked. And they would not move on to the next big thing because see, in our business, we have revolutionaries. Now, we only need a revolutionary once in a lifetime. A guy who comes in, identifies the market has changed and comes out with a new way to sell. The Jordan Belforts of the world, those are the revolutionaries. To be successful in sales, 
you don't need to be a revolutionary. You just got to be an evolutionary. Understanding that I need to evolve as a salesman. That yes, in the 90s, jam it down their throats. Guess what? Early 2000s, what do I got to do? I got to create that relationship, right? I got to care about the dude. I got to talk to him, create small talk, make him feel like I'm his friend. I'm not the guy jamming thing down his throat. And literally, believe it or not, during this paradigm shift, it worked. Anybody who sells will tell you that. It worked because you know what? They're like, ah, I like that guy. Ah, I trust that guy. Because when we would build... These relationships, right? We would relate to them. You had three kids. I got three kids. You got a daughter in college? Me too. We would do these things and create this illusion of similarity. So that way, on the other end of the phone or in a car dealership standing right in front of you, you're looking at a guy or girl who's just like you. And you feel that sort of bond. And that's what they felt. It was no longer a sales conversation. No, 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 no. This was more of like a friendly conversation. We were building that relationship. And so the older generation didn't want to adapt to that. And believe it or not, to get ahead of ourselves, but we moved on from that. Because eventually, the customers changed. And they realized that every time I try and go buy something, somebody's going to try and be my friend and all this and... We hit a generation where everybody wants to buy, but nobody wants to be sold. So it was an interesting dynamic because we couldn't necessarily abandon, right, creating that relationship with the front end. And we couldn't go back to the 90s and jam it down their throat. What we had to do was make the conversation not so much similarity and relatable, but we had to make the conversation about them giving us some information about why they want certain things. And when we figured out why they wanted certain things, we took a listen, we paid attention, we cared or pretended to do so. We co-signed what they said, really looked them in the eyes and said, you know what? I like that too. I get that. I get you. And maybe I can't relate, but I get you. Someone in your situation, I understand that. And so that little level of empathy is what sells. Empathy sells. No matter what I say next, that person's like, man, this guy gets me. I want to buy from him. You know why? Because the other person's just a salesman. This dude understands me. So it takes a little bit longer, but the, the, <laughs> the secret potion isn't <laughs> rattling off a bunch of information. Look, when people want to buy a cell phone, the last thing they want is old Nikki to sit there and jam down their throats all the different specifications of the phone and all the different capabilities the phone has. No, 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 no. They want me to shut up and sell them the iPhone 11 Pro Max. That's what they want from me. That's what they need from me. It's like myself. If I'm going to buy a Jeep, here's the thing. Now, everyone has their own specifications, but look, me, look, I'm looking for a Jeep. It's got to be four-wheel drive, it's got to be a V8, and it's got to be a color I didn't have. That's it. I don't give anything else. I don't care about nothing else. If I cared, I'd ask. So at this point, what we need to do is understand that as salesmen, that we've moved on. But getting back now to sell me this pen. When we have these conversations... It's not supposed to be you just asking bullcrap questions and it stops there. The idea is we build that relationship all the way through. Get to know them, right? Understand where they're coming from. And then ultimately just try and tie in whatever it is we're selling them to what they need. But also it gives us ammunition if they ever try and walk away. I'm going to give you an example. You see, when I first started in the mortgage business, and just so you know, the mortgage business is for people with brass balls, okay? You have to have balls. Anybody can get a degree, get a job at a mortgage firm, and they ain't got a set of balls, and they're not going to make any money. See, when I was working in the 90s, I only needed three, four loans per month to make the money that I needed for a beach house and live very well. The answer is because I had balls, I didn't need eight to 10 loans. I needed four. And to be in sales, you need to have balls. You got to go out there and get after it. And you have to literally push. You can't, you can't pussyfoot it. You got to push. 
Now, in the mortgage industry, give an example about rapport. When I was actually into the whole sell me this pen and not so much jamming down the information down, people would be like, you're wasting too much time on that person. Why are you having conversation with this guy? What does it matter? And there was one loan in particular. It, it, just so you understand, first of all, the, the breakdown. Most times in a mortgage, in, in a mortgage lender, right? In, in a lot of them, right? All could be different. But what happens is there's rates for the day. Now, let's just say the rate interest rate today, and I'm going to use round numbers, and I know rates are low. So what we'll do is we'll just call it 4%. So let's say on a mortgage, the rate is 4%, and that comes with zero points. And for those who don't know, a point just means it's a 1%. So every point is 1% of the loan amount. So that's how you buy down the rate. So what will happen is let's just say it's 4%, and you want 3%, and maybe let's just say for round numbers, it's only one point. Basically, we added the closing cost, 1% of the loan amount. You bought down the rate, and guess what? You get your 3%, and everybody's happy. You're happy. We're happy. We move on with our lives. Now, what you may not realize, a lot of lenders, for every eighth of a percent, there's a certain amount of points attached to it. Now, it can vary. What I mean by that is, is that you could have an eighth of a percent, but it might cost half a point, but then the next eighth of a percent might only be a quarter of a point. It's just how the rate sheet reads and how it works and how they average it out. So now, if I'm sitting here at 4%, and you're a good dude, right? and I want to, maybe I want to raise the rate a little bit. You know why? Because if I go down, right, let's just say this. Let's just say I'm the average salesman, and I say, you know what? I want to give this guy three and seven eighths. Maybe I want to give him three and a half percent. Maybe because I'm afraid he's going to go to the next lender. Maybe I just don't have brass balls. And I'm trying to give him the best rate I can possibly give him. Because what if he hears something elsewhere, right? If that's you, you don't belong in sales, first of all. But anyway, let's say I'm going to get you down to 3.5%. Now, how that hit can work, though, is this. Let's say I want to give that to you, but I don't want you to buy it down. I'm going to take the hit. So let's just say on this loan amount, let's just say, because we can do round numbers, right? Let's just say my, um, my commission check would be $3,000, right? So my commission check would be $3,000. And you get 3.5%. It's 1% of the loan amount, and let's say 1% of the loan amount is $2,000, but I don't want that to come out of your pocket. I want it to come out of my pocket. That's just me not having balls and deciding, you know what, I'm going to allow it. You don't actually take that whole $2,000 hit. In most companies, they'll split the hit with you, so the house will lose 1000 you lose 1000 and you still have two grand in your pocket. Now, some salesmen will call that a win. I say you're not a meat eater. You're not even a plant eater. You're a bottom feeder. What can happen, though, is this. Let's go the other way, the uncharted territory. Let's say I'm like, uh, now, as, and it may have changed, okay, in the last couple decades, uh, but what would happen is, is that if I oversold the loan, so I say to you, you know what, I'm going to go from 4%, I want to whack you all the way to 6%. And let's say that's two points. Now, that would be the maximum. I cannot oversell you more than 6%. I'm sorry, uh, two points, rather. I apologize, two points. I can't go over two points. So now that's two points. So now it's overage, which means I got the normal 3,000, right? I'm going two points. And let's just say, randomly, let's just say that's another $3,000 just so I would go up to six, but you really don't get that full. Reason being is just as sure is the house is going to help you out if you go under on the house. The house is going to take half of your overage, but not a big deal because I oversold it two points. But what happened is I gained 1% of the loan amount back to me. So in the end, I'm making more profit than the average bear. So then if you average that out, I got to write less loans than you, especially if the loan amounts I'm doing are pretty large. So what does that have to do with selling this pen? Because I built rapport with the person, because I gave a crap, because I talked about their favorite teams and all this stuff on the phone, because we created this relationship, I had something to go off of. And I would tell the guys all the time, I was like, man, you got to do it my way because these guys aren't going to walk. I'm telling you, if someone tries to walk 80% chance, I'm going to reel this son of a gun back in because I spent that extra time on the phone. You're over here kicking your butt, having people drop out. You don't have that personal relationship. You see, because here's the bottom line. If you do come and do a mortgage with me, and all of a sudden tomorrow you decide you don't want to do it, like I don't want that home equity loan anymore, it's too late for me to say, uh, well, um, why? 
is there anything else I can do? Dude, you didn't care in the first place. That's how come people have never done sales before. They just want to dive in, right? They just want to be like, well, if they, if they want to buy a car, I'll just sell them a car. Wrong answer. That's stupid. You want to go in there and you want to have that conversation. So a perfect example, what I'm trying to get to is this. So I oversell that loan. And I don't remember the exact rates right now, but let's stick with the scenario we got. So here I am at 6%, right, interest rate. Now, a guy could have gotten four, but he ain't getting it because Papa needs his money. So I got him at 6%. All of a sudden, and this is a true story, guy calls me up. And I'll never forget my coworker, Matt. He was sitting there, and he was like, is this going to work? Because he knew I was about to go on the poor bag of tricks. You see, what happened was I knew everything about this guy. I knew why he was getting this home equity loan. I knew it was for a pool he promised his two girls. I knew that he felt like a failure because he wasn't able to do what he was supposed to. I knew his favorite teams. I knew what he liked. I knew what he disliked. I knew how he felt about his wife that some of his best friends didn't even know. So he called me up and he said, Nick, I talked to a guy at Wells Fargo. I'm getting 4%. The difference in payment, 180 bucks. So I said, all right, James, check this out. I have no problem with you going out and you doing that. But let me ask you a question. Let me actually let me tell you something. I said, the reason why we're at six and they're at four is rates came down. Now, that was a bullcrap lie. But you know what? You got to say something. So bottom line is, my man, we locked this in. We have this. But you can back out of this 100%. But let me ask you a question. Does he know who your favorite team is? He said no. Okay. Does he know that you felt like a failure for so long and you're finally getting that pool? He said no. I said, let me tell you something. And I mean this. We're going to hang up this phone right now. But I want to know that the friendship we built, you sold it out. For $180. And I hung up the phone on him. Now it's very important. Hanging up the phone and ending the conversation. Because I don't give him the opportunity. To just rebuttal. And then of course he called me back. And he went forward with the loan. And he went forward with the loan. Because he felt guilty. Because I spent that extra time. You see I was getting my overage. But I needed to protect it. And the protection was provided. By the rapport that I built. Which brings me to another point. When we talk about this whole selling me this pen and basically not talking about the pen, right? Not talking about the mortgage, not talking about the car. Whatever it is we're selling, the pen is just a variable. Could be anything in the world. We just say a pen because, I don't know, it could fit in our pocket. It made sense. It was a cutesy thing to run in the 90s. I don't know, but we ran with it. So we, you know, we ran with sell me this pen. So now when I'm selling, let's just say, right, when I'm selling uh, the car, the mortgage, the house, whatever the case may be, uh, we, all, we always want to talk about something else. And so some people will say, uh, we don't want to talk about like anything else besides that, right? Anything else is important to them. And a lot of people will say, well, on a phone conversation, right? if I'm on a phone conversation, it's kind of creepy to build, to like, you know, build any sort of relationship, to have a conversation outside of business because, and it could sound crazy, right? Ring, ring, hello. Hey, how you doing? And the kid says, good. You know, be like, hey, bro, uh, is your dad home? Yeah, hey, right here. Hey, okay, good. Dad gets on the phone. Hey, sir, how you doing? Good. What'd you do today? Who is this? Ah, it's Nicky Panato from uh, Blank Insurance Company. You know, he's like, oh. Okay, I'm just wondering what your favorite color is. See, it would just sound weird. However, you do, you do want to abort mission soon. See, unfortunately on the phone and, and people who actually have to actually tell a market understand this, that it's hard to just, you can't just lead with trying to not talk about what you're calling for. So you have to kind of declare. See, face to face, you don't, right? Because I could just be somebody trying to have a conversation with you. But on the phone, I'm going to get right to business and say, hey, man, guess what? I'm Nicky Panato from Blank Insurance Company selling life insurance, my man. How you doing? Good. Hey, check this out, my man. 
Uh, we're overall doing this, that, whatever. And I'm going to go through a lot of the particulars, but I'm literally, and he doesn't realize this, but I'm listening. I'm listening for background noise. I'm looking for any reason to abort mission. I need to abort mission. I don't want to talk about what I'm, a, I'm not here to talk business, not right away. As soon as I hear something in the background, if it's a TV, I'm going to say, hey, sir, not for nothing. I, I apologize to break character, but uh, uh, what is that in the background? What are you, what are you watching? Ah, uh, no, the kids, they're just watching wrestling. Wrestling, oh, man, that's crazy. You know what's so funny? Um, you know, with this whole wrestling thing, my, my kids actually are into that too. Um, the whole, like, WWE thing, or what, what do they watch? Ah, uh, they watch this. No, some, my guys too. Uh, I try to show them some of the nostalgia stuff. And see, I create this conversation, right? Make them believe that my kids, real or not, I, I could have just made them up, but my kids watch the same things they do. I'm creating this conversation where other people in his house aren't rushing him off the phone because they hear him talking about his kids wrestling. Maybe it's background, right? His daughter asked him a question. Oh, is that, um, well, you got kids? Yeah. Yeah. Is that your daughter? Yeah. Crazy. How old is she? Uh, she's 12. No, I got a 13 year old. And you chit chat about that. You see now if his wife walks in the room, the kids walk in the room, they're not going to try and rush him off the phone. They may say, who's there? And he's going to give them a one second thing because it's going to feel awkward. He's talking about wrestling and raising children with a salesman of life insurance. Like something so unrelated to what we're supposed to be talking about. See, now I'm playing a psychological game to keep him on the phone to ward off anybody who's going to jeopardize my sales call. And the reason I'm going to do this is because eventually I need to make my pitch. But if I make my pitch before building rapport, right, then what happens is, is that he's going to have, he's going to have the easy way to say, I'm not interested in hang up the phone. Right. So if I just came at you and said, hey, I'm trying to sell this life insurance. Uh, what I'd like to do is, uh, you know, set you up in this term life plan, all this. I'm not interested. The conversation's over. But if I could talk to you about the background noise, the sport, the television show, the person talking in the background. You know, if I just said, how's your day going? You know, I, just, I might have been asking and trying to just topple off anything he gives me. Right, trying to play like the comedian, right? Like, what do you do? All this stuff. Only not trying to be funny, but just trying to get some information and joke around back and forth, tell him about my work and try and create that. Because if I create this conversation, if me and him are going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, eventually I could say, you know, man, but yeah, actually I was trying to sell you this uh, term life plan. What happens is he can tell me he's not interested. But the conversation ain't over. See, we just spent some time on the phone. Because I built up this conversation, I have the opportunity to continue the conversation. Because it'd be really awkward if I talked to you about your kids. I was like, hey, I'm selling term life insurance. Not interested. Click. No, it'd be like, I'm not interested. Hey. Not a lot of people are, right? <laughs> a lot of us want to live forever, probably not thinking that next step and all this. So because I built that rapport on the phone, because I got this guy going, because we've been going back and forth, now I can disengage from that relationship we're building, engage on the sales call, right? Because now I have enough, you know, I've made enough deposits in that emotional piggy bank, right? I kept putting deposits in there. We're talking about other things. I'm just a regular dude. So that way when I'm, <laughs> I put enough uh, deposits in the most emotional piggy bank, that now I can make my withdrawal. Now I can take some money out. I earned that right to ask you if you want to buy my life insurance policy. I've earned the right to hear you say no, but I've also earned the right for you to hear me out. Because if not, look, rejection's a crazy thing. Because when we talk to somebody, we're either going to get some sort of thing from them, whether it be, you know, they come into the mortgage, uh, you know, the, the, um, you know, your mortgage brokerage, or maybe they come to the car dealership, or maybe they come wherever, right? Wherever your place of business is, right? Or they give you some sort of rejection, right? What we're trying to make sure is by selling me this pen, by talking about something else, that we can get that rejection face-to-face, -face, we can get through it, 
and then we can move on to hopefully a good sales conversation. Now, nothing's 100%, but rejection sucks. And what happens is that we got salesmen out here who don't have a backbone, don't have a spine, can't handle rejection. They get rejected a few times and then they abort mission. They're like, ah, oh, whatever. And they start just giving up. And what they do is they'll make their telemarketing phone calls. And as soon as someone says that, you know, they don't want what you're selling, you hang up the phone. They go out there, right? They go face-to-face meetings. They go to realtors. They go anywhere they got to go to you know, make their business happen. You know, they're on the car dealership, and they're just straight up going right for the jugular. And they're facing the rejection more and more, and eventually they give up. And what do they say? Oh, I tried to do sales. It sucked. I have a secret for you. Sales didn't suck. You suck. So even though we've evolved into getting into the whole finding out why someone wants something, right, figuring out, um, you know, what, what drives them and then giving them that empathy, right, to sell them. Selling with this pen is still accurate. It's just there's another step added to it with today's society. Now, as we talk about this, right, as we talk about this and we – and we think about how we can change the way we sell. Some things I haven't been able to do in my life, I'm probably never going to get a chance to do, but I'll be honest with you, I would love to run a car dealership. The reason being is they need to use rapport as well, but in a different way. You see, they need to sit there, get to know somebody, and figure things out with them, but in a different way. See, because when we talk about starting the relationship, right, Sell me this pen. Talk about something else. When we talk about these things, it changes business to business. What you need to do can alter based upon what it is you're selling. I honestly don't care where this guy works in most cases when he's buying a car. But that might be different than for some other sale. A car dealership actually needs a very specific set of rules when I'm trying to build the relationship. When a person walks in the lot, if I have a car salesman, the last thing I want you to do is rattle off specs and, you know, talk about the latest models and what's on sale and what I can get for you. Like I said about myself before, I walk on a lot, I want a Jeep, I know my thing, I know exactly what I want. I don't even want to test drive the mother. I don't want to test drive it, okay? I just want to get in the Jeep, Pick my color and get the hell out of there. Is it a V8? Yup. 4x4? Yup. More fragile than last year? Yup. Give it to me. So when a, when a man or a woman walks in the car lot, I like the negative reinforcement. I like them to sell me on a reason they want a car. For instance, guy walks in the lot, girl walks in the lot, hey, I'm looking to buy a car. Okay. Why? You don't have a car? And I want to hear what they have to say. I want to ask the questions of what they're all about their scenario, what their situation is. So I want to hear them say that, oh, well, uh, I'm Ubering everywhere, right? I don't have a car or I do have a car, but it's embarrassing. Or, you know, I'm driving this old car. My mom and dad bought me and, you know, I want something newer, you know, something flashier because, you know, maybe I don't have a girlfriend and, and I would like to get a girlfriend. I live in California and it'd be nice to have a beautiful sports car to attract a girlfriend and all this, right? I want to hear these things. You see, I want to know the intricate details. I want this kid to stand on the line. I say kid, could be man, woman, you know what I mean? But I want this person, I'm just old, so everybody's a kid to me. I want this person to sit in front of me and give me the lowdown on why they want a vehicle. Now, it seems like nothing, but this is the exact reason you're going to buy from me. Because if I don't make a car sale, I'm going to make an impact. So let's just say, car dealer A, he doesn't do what I do, right? Kid walks on the lot, he wants a Mustang GT. So what does he do? He's a bullshit salesman. He's, that's the paperwork in a Mustang GT. Hey, guy, we'll sign everything tomorrow. Come on in with your co-signer. Everybody's happy. And then you got Nikki P. Standing there in front of him. Spent that extra time. I send him away, too. But tomorrow morning, not good. Tomorrow morning, we both get a phone call. And that phone call says that this kid does not want to buy that Mustang GT anymore. Car salesman A, who has no relationship with this kid, 
has nothing to go off of. When that kid calls him up and says, hey, I don't want that Mustang anymore, Carl says, like, well, why? Uh, uh, is there anything wrong? Uh, did you find a different deal? Oh, it's way too late to care, my brother. You see, because when that kid calls me, he's not ready. He's not ready. When he calls me up, he says, hey, Nikki, listen, I love what you said, but uh, I'm not getting that Mustang GT. So I have things to work with. I'm like, what happened? You know, you get a girlfriend? Ah, uh, yeah, actually I did. I got a Tinder date. No way, dude. No way. Nice. Did you guys already meet? Well, not yet, but um, but you're going to meet tonight. Okay, bro, check this out. You told me how embarrassing that car is. I mean, between me and you, we know how hard it is for you to get a girl. You told me that. In fact, you'd given up when we stood together. Now I want you to imagine you pull up in your embarrassing car. She gets in and we don't seal the deal. We don't get a second date because you failed to do the right thing that you knew yesterday you needed to do. But imagine, I'll have the thing waxed. I'll have the thing washed. I'll have that thing so sparkling clean. That when you come here, whew, that's going to be the best Mustang GT you'd ever seen. And so when you come here and pick up that car, you pick her up and you call me tomorrow and you tell me that you're happy because you don't have a second date. Bro, you got a third date, my man. Because the first date was at the restaurant. The second date was at the beach. You know what I'm saying? And I want you to call me up and thank me for that, my man. But do us both a favor and heck, do her a favor. Get your ass down to the car dealership right now. Let's buy this car. But it could be for anything, right? Because you're going to embarrass yourself and tell me why you need all this, right? And so I'm going to be able to use that ammunition to bring you back in. Now, if not, right, you could say, well, P, there's no way you can guarantee me that this kid for sure is going to come in and buy that car. Yeah, I got a better chance at it though too. But here's the other thing is that I've now resonated with him. I listened to him. I heard him talk about all the worst things about his car. And when you say the worst things about your car or about yourself, or when I say them, it hits home a little bit different. It's very easy for you to say your car is a piece of crap and embarrassing. It's very painful for someone else to say it. But I'm only using your words so you can't get mad at me. All you can do is allow my words to resonate in your psyche. So when that kid hangs up the phone and says, he's like, hey, I'm not buying that car. When he picks her up, his confidence is down. When he picks her up, he's thinking the entire time, my car is embarrassing. I played psychological warfare because he gave me the ammunition. I just fired it down range. He handed me the ammo. And my chances of maybe a day or two are also alive where he may come in for that Mustang GT. Salesman A, as soon as he hangs up the phone, guy's a passing thought. You see, I want to make sure every sales conversation I have has an opportunity to relive and live again if any reason rejection overcomes the agreement that we had made. Now, this could work other, words, other places too, you know? Like I was in a different life, my first job. I, gosh, I wish I could be a Best Buy television salesman. And the same parameters, right? The same parameters in place. You see, when someone comes in to buy a TV, the worst thing you can do is buy him a TV. Just like I said, what's wrong with your TV? Everyone's got a TV. You don't have a TV. I want to hear about how small your TV is, how it doesn't meet your requirements and all this. Now, if you do try and back out on the TV, I can throw back in your face, and all the good things you told me, I can use against you. You see, sales is a war. And a lot of people don't realize that. The best salesmen in this world know that when you come and you try and buy from me, this is psychological warfare. The moment you stepped on my lot, the moment you stepped in my Best Buy, it's war. I know that you are here, and I know that I'm going to take you down. Should you ask about any product, I'm going to own you. If I don't make a sale, I'm going to make an impact. I'm going to reset your words back, because at first, it's empathy. But in the end, whew, those are lore of words. Because when I'm empathetic, I'm like, man, you know, that sucks, I have an embarrassing car or whatever. But when my tone changes when you back out, and I say, hey, man, say the TV thing, hey, man, 
You don't want the TV, huh? Second guessing it? I'll tell you what. I guess that Super Bowl party's gonna suck. Nah, it is, remember? You said your tiny little TV. It's gonna suck on that. You said that. Remember you said that? You remember that, right? Yeah. Enjoy your shitty Super Bowl party. Get the get the heck out of my store. No, it's not gonna be shitty. You told me to be shitty, bro. You said that. Not me. Those are your words, not mine. I'm just telling you what you said. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at yourself. Get mad at your stupid TV. Get out of here. Anyway, and actually one thing that uh, really worked out well was I like how a lot of companies do, and I'm going to use this term loosely because I, off the top of my head I don't have it, but almost like suggestive selling. What I mean by that, though, is that different, like it's almost complementary selling. Lens crafters is big about this, right? So you go in lens crafters, and no matter what pair you put on, before you leave, they try and co-sign and say, oh, those look amazing on you, whatever else, because they're trying to limit this thing called buyer's remorse. Well, Target, and I had a good buddy. Um, my daughter was tiny, and, uh, and we, I needed to get toys, so I used to get up with the managers, and I would get along with these guys, and I would uh, be able to get toys before they hit the shelves, just, you know, make friends with these people who could be of use to me. So I had this guy and I was like, man, I, one thing I hate about Target was every time I was in there, like, and I'll pay attention to sales approaches and techniques and it bothered me because I felt like they were doing it wrong. And so at Target, what they would do when they try and, you know, sell a product is, and there's a lot of companies who do things like this, is let's just say I pick up a garment. Oh, they're going to say, oh, that garment's nice. Look, lens crafters, oh, they look good on you or whatever else. People know you're selling them. What I say is you do a negative reinforcement. It's psychological warfare. Right? If you pick up a red dress at Target and I'm the employee, I don't want to say that red dress looks good on you. I want to pick up a blue one that's longer or shorter. And I want to look at you and say, hey, uh, you think about getting that dress? Eh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that dress. You see this blue one here? I'm much, much longer. This is better. Because I want you to defend yourself. You see, because the average person is going to say, oh, no, I don't like that. I like this much better. Why? What's so great about that dress? Oh, well, because it's like short, this, that, whatever. I can wear it to anything. Really? Like anything like where? And I'm going to have you explain it to me. You see, because you're defending it, psychologically you're owning it. So when I'm done with this conversation, the person puts it in the basket, walks away, and they're not going to put it back. You know why? Because putting it back lets that employee win the argument. Now, some people will say, right, if you've never tried this before, you're going to say, well, wait a minute. Why do I want negative reinforcement with my employees? This is not about making friends. Sales is not about making friends. It's about making money. I would rather you not like my employees and still buy because this ain't about friendship. Okay, if you run your business, if you run your sales approach on friendship, on friendship, if you base it on friendship, you are going to fail. This is not the business of making friends. This is the business of making money. If you don't like it, good. Get lost and get out. Sales is about making money. That's it. I hope that nobody likes me, but everybody buys me. You know why? Because I'm right. You know why? Because I asked the questions to get the information from you. I made you defend your opinion or whatever else approach I'm using, but I'm using your words against you and I'm psychologically manipulating you because sales is a war to win. I'm here to win and make money. That's it. I'm never going to be friendliest employee of the month, but you know what? I'll be most impactful and I'll be the most successful. I ain't here to make friends. You want to make friends, go to the fucking playground. This here sales, this is not a place just for making friends. So when I explained the target situation to my friend, who became my friend, uh, and he said, you know what, I'm going to try it. And just so you know, people don't always look at that employee and, and think, oh, they're bad or whatever the case may be. It's just, an, it's just a difference of opinion. Sometimes I go high into the right when I talk. But it's just a difference of opinion. Is he funny? He said, no, they kind of like the difference of opinion. They'd have a conversation, and they're not trying to sell them on the product, but because my employee's saying maybe you shouldn't want that product, you should want this product, because the person defends it, he said that the chances of them leaving with the product was definitely up, and they ran it in the two stores he was a part of. Now, usually it'd only be the manager of one store, but he was doing dual hatting because of employees 
uh, employee issues, staff issues, what have you. And they actually still use it to this day. And so that's why you, when you have a, have a business, you can't just go off of a base model and move on from it. You know, you wouldn't want to do that in a car dealership, right? That's for a target. And a car dealership's like, the, like I said, like a Best Buy, like a television store, somewhere sells televisions, the same deal, right? Every, everything's going to have different. And that's why what happens is, is that we have the revolutionaries in the world. You have to have the evolutionaries, the guys and girls who've sold in one generation, understand there's been a paradigm shift and been able to move on. Because in our business, like I said before, we have the revolutionaries. We only need a few of those, the Jordan Belforts of the world, the guys and girls who go out there and say, hey, we have a marketing change and they move it on. Then you have the most important people in the world, right? Because we only need one revolutionary. We need many evolutionaries, right? If not, then our sales are going to tank as soon as a paradigm shift happens in the market. The evolutionaries, that's what you want to be. A guy or girl who can sit there and know that we sell this way today, but tomorrow could be completely different. We need to abandon ship. And when we abandon ship, we got to go with the new way and not look back. Never forget empathy. That's where we're at. Sounds crazy. But guess what? Americans today feel not listened to. You know how many wives at home don't feel listened to? You know how many people in stores are trying to buy don't feel listened to? You know how many kids today don't feel listened to? You're going to be that one adult in anybody's life who's literally not trying to sell them shit. Who in their mind is just hearing them out, understanding they have an issue. Hearing them out and telling them, you know what? The irrational fucking bullshit you just told me makes sense to me. Now, you're not going to say that, right? You're just going to say, hey, you know what? I get it. If I was in your situation, my man. I think I'd buy that Lexus too. I do. I agree with you. That's going to change everything. That's a status freaking mover right there. The dangerous thing you don't want to be is status quo. I say that because these are the people, these are the dinosaurs who believe that, how oh, I did business 30 years ago is how we should do it today. Wrong answer. You're a dinosaur. The minute a paradigm shift happens, and you can't wrap your head around it and adapt, you're a dinosaur, and you're going to become extinct. And the problem is, a lot of businesses are going to keep you. You know why? Because you had past success. And maybe they messed up and actually promoted your ass to the top, and now you're still preaching that old way to sell to the newer people, and you're polluting the exact company. The exact company you helped bring to the top now needs to cut you. Now you're cutting the legs from underneath them. Which is why if you have a sales company, you cannot be afraid. Don't be afraid. If you have a dinosaur, I don't care if the old man brought, or the woman brought you a ton of work, brought you a ton of loans, ton of car sales, ton of anything. In sales, you cut the legs from the people who are hurting your company. Do not live in the past. Sales is living in the next month, in the next day, in the next sales period, whatever that happens to be. That's what you need to be looking at. Do I have the personnel that's going to make me make the next leap? I don't give a damn about the last leap. Sales is supposed to be an unforgiving business. This is not a business we live on the successes of yesterday. You need to live in where you want to be tomorrow. And if you look around and you see a bunch of guys and girls who you know are going to bring you in to the next big month, then you go for it. And the minute you don't think so, you cut that cancer out because that cancer will spread. Because newer employees will look at that old dog and say, that's the guy who's been killing at this business. I'm going to follow him. But the problem is they're not learning the new way to sell. No, 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 no. They're stuck in the old ways to sell. And you, as an owner, as a company manager, as whatever you are, you cannot allow that in your place. And I say whatever you are because depending upon what kind of sales organization we're talking about, it could be anything. For some, it could be district manager, regular manager, sales manager, whatever the case may be. But sell, sell me this pen. It was just a necessity to disengage training from the fast-talking salesman and engaging into a personalized relationship. And then after that, we're in the empathetic stage where we need to know this person's ins and outs, why they want things, what their situation is. We need to show empathy. And the minute we feel like their agreement with us, their commitment becomes a rejection and they want to walk away, we take that empathy and we forge it like a weapon and we use it against them and we never forget sales is a war field. 
It is wartime, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it is. All right. So anyway, uh, in today, uh, we talked about a lot of different things. We talked about, you know, how to create that, um, how we start the conversation. But And, and uh, before I let you guys go, and, and, and I know we've gone for over 44 minutes, uh, but one thing I do want to tell you is that sometimes when I, when I have salesmen and they don't know how to start a conversation, They'll say, well, I don't quite get it, right? Like, I'm introverted. I don't know how to do it. And I tell them, there's a good thing about sales, right? Is that in sales, it's like a relationship, right? Sales is like a relationship. I have so many different seminars about this, but let me tell you something. Sales, to stick with just the topic we're on, and we talk about starting the relationship, starting the conversation, building that interpersonal relationship, and we start to get to know the person. If you don't know how to do it, it's like a first date. Because people say, well, how do you start the conversation? And when do I actually push the product, right? Like when do I go from small talk to an actual business conversation, right? When does that thing happen? So how do I start the conversation? How do I get out of it and whatever? Let me tell you something. When you start having that small talk conversation, only one of two things is going to happen, right? A... We're going to get a commitment to do whatever we're looking to do, whether it be having to come to the car lot, whether it's having to come in to talk to the mortgage broker, go talk to the realtor, whatever it happens to be. That's what we're looking to do, or we're going to face some sort of rejection. That's it. So you got to go into it knowing I can't lose what I don't have. You go into it full head of steam and, and storm right in and just say, hey, we're going to try it. So now I say it's like a relationship is this. Everything with sales, if you are good, if you have game, if you can get a relationship to work, then guess what? You're a great salesman. You just don't realize it yet, right? So when you think back, for some of you who are single, this is so much easier. But for those of you who are married, and hopefully if you were married, you haven't done this since you got married. But when you think about I walk up to a girl, right? So say I walk up to a girl and you walk up to whomever, right? Whatever you're interested in uh, at the bar. You begin with small talk. You talk about anything asexual which means nothing to do with like, you're not going to talk about, you know, the assets of the man or woman. No, no, no. You're going to literally talk about, you know, their earrings, where they're from, uh, what brings them there, uh, what do they do for work. And no matter what they do, you're going to act impressed by it. You're going to co-sign it and you're going to try and find some sort of commonalities between the two of you, right? We're going to try and find things that we have in common. We say that in relationships, right? We're trying to look for things in common. And even if it's not in common, you'll hear them out and what have you, and you'll make it in common. It's the same thing here. It's the same steps. And if you're wondering, well, what happens? How do I know to, when do I know to leave that, right? Leave this little small talk conversation and actually go for the jugular and go into the relationship, right? Or, you know, whatever it happens to be, whether it be the appointment, whether it be let's hit the dance floor, whether it be get a drink, or whether it be uh, come in for an appointment, whatever it happens to be. When do I know? Well, this, the rules are the same. Let me tell you something. You're at the bar. Eventually, you're talking or what have you, right? You're getting those things in common or whatever, and there comes that point where inside your little soul, you say, okay, we've done this long enough. Like your internal clock goes off, and you're like, hey, so... Um, what do you say? Do you want to uh, want to hit the dance floor? What do you say? So uh, what do you think? Can I buy you a drink? What do you say? You ready to go to Waffle House? You know, whatever it happens to be, and the same thing with sales, right? If I'm sitting there talking to you and finding out about your family and, you know, why you want the vehicle or what we're using the mortgage uh, second home equity loan for, whatever it happens to be, at some point, you know, I'm going to feel like, okay, it's it's time to, move forward. It's time to try and get this person to put pen to paper or put meat in the seat or whatever it happens to be and go to that next step. And just simply that you just do it. Now, the reason why some of that small talk conversation is important is because just as sure as I go to a club and I walk up to a girl and I say, hey, you want to go to Waffle House? The minute she says no, we're done talking because I didn't take the time to do a small talk conversation. Okay? I can easily walk up to her, hey, let's go to Waffle House. No. Oh, why not? Dude, I'm all set. They're done with me. But if I had that small talk conversation 
and I talked about she's from Alabama and you know she is fans of this and watches this show and we go through all this different stuff and then because I spent the extra five to seven minutes in the conversation now I say so uh you want to go to Waffle House the answer may be the same but it's different what I mean by that is she's gonna say uh no I'm all set with that but because we're already talking She's not going to cut me off. See, we can still have a conversation. I'm like, oh, why? What's the matter? You don't like waffles? And she'd be like, no, 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 we're all set. And then she's willing to continue that conversation so I can get through. Why doesn't she want to go? Maybe she's got somewhere to be. Maybe she's driving someone home. Maybe she's the DD. Maybe she's just drunk. But I'm going to be able to get that information out of her because I already made those deposits in the emotional piggy bank where now I can make my withdrawal and feel confident that the conversation will still continue. I'm not going to walk up to a girl, blow five to seven minutes in a conversation, and then ask her on the dance floor, and she says no, and then not still willing to talk to me, right? I can probably go, well, can I at least buy you a drink? I mean, we're talking. I mean, the least I could do. And then ultimately keep that conversation working and give me more opportunities to take her down. The same thing in a sale. If I just walked up to you all of a sudden and said, hey, you want to buy a phone and I'm at Sprint? Heck no, bro. Hey, you want to buy this car? Heck no, bro. But if you just start with a conversation, you're going to find that when you do face that rejection, you're going to get two or three stabs at it. You still may not get every single person. However, you're going to get additional chances to take that person down, to break down their little walls, and to get them to see things the way you do and to make this whole thing happen. So the small talk is just the same as a relationship. You know? And when we talk about, uh, and to close up about the phone call conversation, you know, when I abort mission, when I'm on the phone with the person and I, I'm looking for any little thing in the background and I eventually abort mission, you know, I don't mind going for the kill ready for rejection. You know, we're done talking about the daughter, the son, the baseball game, whatever it is. I'm like, hey, man, not to keep you on the phone forever. It's been a great conversation, but um, I'm actually hoping to maybe sit down with you one day and we can go over some uh, term life plans. <laughs> and he says, I'm not interested. I figure you would, man. Um, but let me ask you, you know, do you have any sort of plan now? What have you? See, I can continue that conversation and we can almost friendly have a friendly exchange over whatever it is I'm looking to sell. And what I would always do is make note because this way, the next time I talk to him, I can actually say to him, hey, man, guess what? Uh, remember the last time we talked? You know, you were talking about that baseball game. Bro, they were having highlights of that stuff on ESPN. Whatever. I'm going to co-sign it again. Like, I not only listened to you, but it didn't one ear and out the other. Like, everybody else who listens in society, instead, I didn't one ear in one ear out the other, what I did do was I paid attention, I gave a crap, I recited it back, and you feel listened to. Something a lot of Americans don't feel today. So, if you can be a revolutionary, if not, please, for all my salesmen out there, be an evolutionary. Evolve with the times. Understand uh, the way we do things today can change tomorrow. Uh, if you're still jamming information down their throats, you're probably out of a job. If you are, you know, sitting there and selling that pen, I'm all about it. But if you haven't added empathy in there, uh, you're probably not doing too well. Uh, so I want you guys to try that. And until next time, this has been Nikki P's Conundrum. <laughs>